0: Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Public Enemy's Best Album. Micaiah, you say fear of a black planet. I say it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. What do our listeners need to know right up front about Public Enemy?
1: Boy, oh boy. Um, public enemy right one of the most important most influential hip-hop acts uh, their first album Yo bum rush the show came out uh, in 1987 quickly followed up by takes a nation amongst the holds back which came out in 88 um, the movie do the right thing comes out in 1989 which features them heavily and the 1990s Fair of a black planet um, and they're still coming out with, with new stuff, but um, kind of the faces of Public Enemy are, um, are Chuck D and Flavor Flav, um, who is the hype man and Chuck D kind of being the the main lyricist and the main, you know, the primary rapper and pretty much the heart and soul of what Public Enemy is, you know, Public Enemy isn't just um, any old hip hop act, right? They're not, like Run DMC, you know, um, or even Eric B and Rakim. There, there's a consciousness there that's not preachy. Um, it is um, abrasive, uh, if anything, you know, and it's um, it's edifying but not educational. You know, it's uh, it's just a it's a new style of hip hop. I mean, they they really redefined what the genre could be and push those you know boundaries like even further um the sound uh, their their production teams the bomb squad who have a very unique uh style of creating beats that's not just like a standard 808 beat there that's just uh keep time and then maybe like your favorite sample from like, an r and or soul song to kind of like weave a hook out of or something or to steal a another drum break from a a disco song or a james brown song you know it, it's much more collage based um than just like a a linear kind of you know rhythm section you know Mm -hmm. so yeah and that's what's made them from a production standpoint one of the most influential acts um but you know with their lyrics and and their messages what has made them one of the most important you know music acts you know outside of hip hop one of the most important music acts uh, in the history of you know popular music
0: so we have this incredibly important hip-hop group, Influential, and they release really three phenomenal first albums. First album on Def Jam is, is, is a great hip-hop album. It points to where they're headed. But the leap they take between their first album and their second album, the leap they take between Yo Bum Rush to Stage and It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back is unbelievable. Maybe maybe the largest single leap that any hip-hop artist has ever taken between their first and second
1: album. Probably. I mean, because, I mean, you know, Bummer's the show, it it can't compete with, like, other albums in 87. Not really. I mean, it's maybe the third best hip-hop album of that year. like Because, like, Rakim, right? Paid in full by Airbnb and Rakim comes out that year. And Rakim's flow, no one can touch. Right, um, the other one, big one that year, is a criminal-minded boogie down productions with Karis One and Scott LaRock, right? Iconic, mm-hmm. um, and I think with all that happening, you know, they they realize they gotta you know maybe step it up, you know, because eighty seven is a, is a big year, and you know, the show there there are a few songs, there are a few that are like hinting toward what's to come, mm-hmm. um, but it, it is a much More standard kind of 1987 hip hop album. It's not the revolutionary sound that's on these two records, starting with It Takes a Nation of Millions to Mm -hmm. Hold Us Back. In
0: 1987, Yo Bum Rush the Show isn't among one of the best two or three hip hop albums. A year later, they released It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, which I think pretty undeniably is not just the best hip hop album of the year. It's the best album of 1988.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, there are also things like daydream nation by Sonic youth and we, we both like green by REM, yeah. but I mean, objectively bright. It takes a nation is the, the best album of 1988 and the best hip hop album of the eighties. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that's pretty clear.
0: So, I, I mean, that's where you really... And then, not only that, you get the follow-up album, which, again, originally should have come out a year later, like, should have come out in 1989. The fact that they do, it takes a nation of million holds back, and then follow it up in less than a year worth of writing with Fear of a Black Planet. I mean, this... It's no wonder that public enemy ends up kind of falling into mediocrity by the time they get to the mid nineties, because there's no way any artist could keep up that level mm-hmm. of, of excellence for that long. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable that they're able to do it, it for it for as long as they are, but that yeah. 88, 89, 90, those three years of public enemy might be the best three years we get of any hip hop act i mean I th- you could you could make the argument that that ninety eight equimini into two thousand Stankonia for Outkast is is stronger mm-hmm. um you could make the argument that um low end theory and midnight marauders that that mm-hmm.
1: well also th- i mean people's instinctive from ninety that ninety to ninety three stretch for tribe is yeah. I mean that's because I, mean, I I think that public enemy are the first to have the the great trilogy of hip hop albums. They're the first act to have just three like boom. Like these are the some of the greatest albums of all time. The first run DMC record is great and Raising Hell is great, but there's no third, right? There's no there's mm-hmm. no really a trilogy on this. Um, but I think that public enemy does the first great hip-hop trilogy um, but quickly followed by tribe and then by um the end of the 90s into the early 2000s outcast uh, gives us the next great trilogy yeah and my favorite but uh anyway the all, all of this is to say right public enemy uh, are one of the great hip-hop acts and we are talking about two of the greatest albums of all time, mm-hmm. which makes our job very hard, then. Which one of these two greatest albums of all time um, gets to make our list? Since we're only doing one album per artist, how do we you know, decide which Public Enemy album makes it? A tough question
0: to consider. And so, luckily, we don't have to do it alone. Like tell us about today's guest.
1: Today, we have Will Dukes. Uh, who is a a writer and critic? Um, he's currently writing for Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, Stereo Gum, and Mike. Uh, he's a contributor to the recent Rolling Stone 200 Greatest Hip Hop Albums of All Time list. Uh, one of the ones that he wrote a little blurb for, you know, on the on the site is Fear of a Black Planet. And also in the beginning of the year, he he did an article on uh, Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet, that you can find now. Um so yeah I there's I mean literally like no better person um to help us out. So we're going to
0: hear from Will in just a few
1: seconds. He's going to
0: tell us about our independent record store of the week. And then you're going to hear from our sponsor Anchor and then we'll be back to talk public enemy with our guest Will Dukes.
2: Yeah, shout out to A1 Records in the East Village. Uh, it, for those, if you're like a way a old school hip hop, 90s hip hop fan, you might have read about them way back in like the source in 1990, uh, 1999. They got a write up back then for the uh, Crate Digger issue. But yeah, A1, A1 Records, they've been around for a minute now. And right in the East Village here in New York City, when you go in, it just this might have changed because i haven't been there in a minute but for years when you went into the record shop you see these great pictures of like all of these great crate diggers and just classic beat makers so you see a blue from aging picture of like quest love right next to large professor pete you know and back in those days i came to new i moved to new york in 2002 so it's going on it's like 20 years now but when i first moved here you would still see some of those guys maybe I didn't see them but I'd hear stories like yo Pete was just in here just like randomly flipping through the jazz stacks so yeah they're a great shop you know just whatever you want hip hop 12 inches a lot of rare shit that they have up on the wall just all this a lot of the stuff you can't even find anymore like Roy Ayers He's Coming album something like that that might be up on the wall but yeah shout out to A1 Records Uh, definitely want to big them up
0: that's A1 Record Shop, located at 439 East 6th Street, New York, New York, 10009. They're open noon to 8 p.m., seven days a week, and you can reach them by phone at 212 473
3: 2870. Too black, too strong. Yo, Chuck, these honey triples are still fun on us. Tell that we can do this Cause we always do this Ha <laughs> ha Yeah boy Base How low can you go Death row What a brother No once again Back is the incredible Rhyme animal The uncannable thief Public enemy number one five bull at Freeze And I got numb Can I tell them That I really never had a gun But it's the wax That they the Terminator they got me in the cell cause my records, they sell. Cause a brother like me said, well, Farrah cause a profit. And I think you want to listen to what he can say to you. What you want to do is follow for now. How a the people say, make a miracle. Keep up the lyrical. Black is back all in. We're going to win. Check it out. Yeah, yo, come on. Here we go again.
0: Will Dukes, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do we need to know about you and your love of hip-hop music? For starters, you know, just
2: hip-hop critic, music critic in general. I I don't only write about hip-hop, but more more and more these days, that kind of seems to be my wheelhouse. So, yeah, you know, just all of it, you know, the the greats, all the classics. I'm old enough to have been, you know, I was outside, as they say, back in the uh, 90s, at least. So I remember that era. And, you know, of course, resonates well with me. But, uh, yeah, just a lot of stuff as well. You know, the newer stuff, like I have just wrote something about Brooklyn Drill, which, you know, a lot of people are excited about. So I'm tapped in with that as well. But yeah, just uh, about 15, going on 15 to 16 years as a music critic, you know, just,
0: you know, veteran at this, love what I do. Awesome. And you have written for our listeners, you have written for Mike, Stereo Gum, Pitchfork, and of course for Rolling Stone. And we're going to be talking quite a bit about your work with Rolling Stone tonight because we have you here to talk about Public Enemy, and to help us decide the debate between whether Public Enemy's best album is It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back or Fear of a Black Planet. So before we get into that, you recently contributed to the Rolling Stone 200 Greatest Rap Albums list. Yes, sir. And and for our listeners, help us understand kind of the dynamics around that. How does a list like that get made? How does it come together? And... I can only imagine, but can you give us a sense of, of what the general response has been?
2: Well, yeah, basically, it's just it's more or less with staff picks. Um, you know, it's with tallies, you know, pretty much every writer and you know, starting with the editors will pick a bunch of albums or whatever. And we'll just tallies like who votes for what mm-hmm. um, we get to what we got to weigh in. You know, I don't think that this album particularly belongs on here. For instance, a lot of great albums, unfortunately, we just didn't have the time to get around to. And when I, what I mean by that is like a lot of the, when you think about groups like Outkast, Gangstar, you know, these are legacy acts with like deep catalogs with like four, four or five classics. So it's like, you know, we're doing 200 albums. I, you know, we would love to include all of the Gangstar albums, for instance, but it's like, you know, to cover everything, I don't know if we can get to that. Same for Outkast. You know, okay. I would have loved to have done just about every outcast album there is, you know, except for maybe, what was the last one, Idlewild? No, just to that. <laughs> but I don't know if that would have been on my list. Mm-hmm. But uh, stuff like that. So yeah, it's like tally. So we get to, long story short, weigh in. Um, I think this might need to go higher on the list low, and or lower. Um, this actually doesn't belong on the list. And, you know, we just go from there. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to, you know, help compile the list. Um my say was, again, more so with the classics. Um, I, I, America's Most Wanted was one of the ones I wrote about. Um, you mentioned De La, Balloon Mind State, uh, Great Adventures of Slick Rick, which is one of my favorites of all time. And of course, since we're talking about public enemy, Fear of a Black Planet. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that is more or less how the list got made. And as far as the response, I'm not at all surprised, as you mentioned earlier, um, a lot of controversy I, controversy might be too much of a, too strong of a word, but just like the mentions kind of lit up for a minute, which was understandable. You know, a lot of people were like, no diss to Cardi B who I love and I love invasion of privacy, but people were like, yo, how is Cardi that high on the list? You know, I, you know, she maybe shouldn't have been like a 90 or something in a lot of people's opinion. This is what people said. So stuff like that. Like why is this newer artist that high on the list? why is my favorite old school artist in a lot of cases so low on the list and so on and so forth.
0: So let me just ask, cause I'm, I'm interested in and in, in, so fascinated by the process when, when you're putting a list like that together, do you, do you find that kind of once you have included an artist, especially an artist who's shown up really high on the list, do you feel like there's kind of less, uh, less of desire, even if the, their other albums may be deserving of, of a high placement that kind of tendency to drop it lower. So for example, I'm thinking about number two on the rolling stone list was outcast Stankonia. And then equipment, I was pretty far down the list from there, but when, when Stankonia is that high, does it kind of, you can kind of move on to other artists and not want to put out, you not want to kind of overload the front of the list with Outcast albums. Is that kind of the thinking?
2: Yes. Yep. You hit it on the, hit the nail on the head. Uh, in my personal opinion, I love you, but my in my opinion, Equimini is much higher. I think that the you, you agree. We we
0: we just literally the episode that we have coming out on Monday is is us with this exact question. And one of the things <laughs> we were kind of hoping we could get you to weigh in on was was, was that topic. And so you gave us the soundbite we wanted for that episode. <laughs>
2: Nice, nice. Ex- right, there we go. But yeah, Aquaman you, know, you know, I'm just going to say it. Is, is the better album. I would have personally even had the first one, Southern play- Playlist of, uh, Cadillac Music. I'd have had that over Stank On You. But you know, that, like I said, as far as the way that the lists get compiled, no one person has a decision, which is fair. But yeah, it's based off of tallies. Like enough people apparently just like that particular album, enough of the staff. So, you know, that was kind of the choice at that point. And yes, you were right. It's, it's because of that. It's like, okay, we got Outkast and we have so much other ground to include. Um, and for instance, Public Enemy, we got both of their albums and those both deserve to be on there. So maybe the thinking was, yeah, you know, we might've kind of gone where we can go with Outkast as much as we'd like to cover all, you know, at least three of the albums, the first three classics. Mm-hmm. But now nah, let's just stick with that. So yeah, that was more or less
0: what happened. Rolling Rolling Stone is a magazine, and you know a a a media company. They're you know they're trying to sell issues and and get and get views. And one of the things that happens every time Rolling Stone puts a list together is again more more eyeballs are on it because as soon as you put you know as, as soon as you make a statement, this is the best rap album or these are the best ten rap albums. As soon as you make a statement like that you're You're inviting all of the disagreements you're 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 inviting all of the people who think you're wrong. and so I imagine you're hearing a lot more of people who are saying, "I can't believe your list looks like this." Rather than people who are going, Bravo, Rolling Stone, you did it, great job for all the writers. Facts, facts. The vast majority, and I didn't, you know, I stopped looking at my
2: mentions after a while. But you got it, (laughs) yo. The vast, the vast majority was like exactly that, like yo, this sucks, yo. Where the fuck is this? It's like, why is this on the list or whatever. So yes, a a few people, and shouts to those people because I guess I'm really appreciative of that, honestly. A few of them, you know, reached out to me personally saying we, we appreciate what you did because of the classic artists that you wrote about. So mm-hmm. that just felt great to have been recognized in that way. And not enough writers get enough credit. You know, we're in the, we've been in the Internet age for 20 years now. But still, writers traditionally, are, we're just not used to, you don't you put something out in the world and you know it's good or you think it's good. But it's like you, you never really know how you're being read. So when people do that, the few people that actually reach out and say, I appreciate what you did, it feels great. So, but yes, to answer your question, that's like three compared to like, you know, what 20, 30, 40, hundred, <laughs> like I, I hated this. This is whack. So a lot of those responses I, I engaged, which are probably against my better judgment on a few of them. Just like, okay, humor me. Like, what did you agree with? What did you disagree with? And bear in mind, and I will say this, I said up front, I didn't agree with everything. I'm sure most of the writers as well as the editors there feel the same way. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I know we did a great job. And I I say that because it's like 200 albums and there's so much now that has to be considered when you put a list together like this. It's like back in the day, and I I tweeted about this, you know, back in the 90s, uh, for instance, say 91 everyone would have been more or less on the same page with basically everything that anybody would be talking about that, that has pretty much everything to do with where hip hop was back then. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, it's not mainstream music in 1991, very limited. Uh, it's breaking mainstream of course, but not compared to what it would be. So it's like, yeah, if you're listening, if you're tapped into it and a lot of that had to do with great gatekeepers, you're reading the source magazine you're checking for people who really are on point telling you the good shit. So it's like, if we're talking about it, it's great, no matter where it's from. So back then, it would, it would have been really easy to put out a list that more or less everybody agrees with. Mm-hmm. But now, 2022, it's like we got to weigh, you know, you want someone like Ben Staples, for instance, who I wrote about, you know, who made a great album, our Summer of 06, great album. But it's like, OK, I got to weigh that versus like some of these heavyweights from the 80s and 90s. So something mm-hmm. like that, and again, like a Cardi, where does Chance show up? Where do we put Young Thug? Uh, it, it's difficult, and we're not going to make the right decisions all the time. But, or I should say, we're not going to make a decision that everyone agrees on. But it's just something to consider when you have all those factors as far as impact, the different styles, and how the cultures evolved over the years. You got to consider all of that.
3: Bang. What you looking for? The same thing. It's a new thing. Check out this bring. A older robe, a lower level, cause I'm living low next to the base. Come on. Turn up the radio. They're claiming I'm a criminal. Yeah. But now I wonder how. Some people never know. The enemy could be the friend, guardian. I'm now a hooligan. I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist, preacher, teacher art number one never want to run about the gun i wasn't licensed to have one the minute they see me fear me i'm the epitome a public enemy Use abuse without clues i refuse to blow a fuse they even had it on a news don't believe the hype don't, don't 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 believe the hype
1: Yeah, know i want to weigh on this too because i've you know we've we've we're making our own lists. So I, you know, I'm always thinking about lists and get really excited when these things come out. And, you know, I, I like this 200 greatest rap album list uh, for two reasons. Cause like a good list really does kind of two things. Um, it enrages people um, cause you need those clicks. Right. Um, but also edifies people right? Like there, there are, there's a, probably a large percentage of like golden, you know, golden age era and even like mid to late nineties stuff that I had never heard of before that now I have to go back and listen to, you know, so I appreciate a list of 200, which is, you know, enormous, you know, that just, you know, can edify someone and be like, look, there's the whole subgenre of hip hop that, you know, you may have never even heard about that's getting representation on that list. So that's always good. And I think it's, you know, first like some of those classics, like EPMD at 50, I'm like, okay, that's fair. And then you're scrolling and you see some of the new artists, you know, that are higher than like strictly business. You're like, okay, well I think that's kind of whack, but I'll keep scrolling. But then you get to like the top five and like Kendrick's in the top five, you know, an album from 2015. And you know I appreciate that. I appreciate that an album that new can be over, uh, illmatic. You know, it's just like, hey, you know, like, make, go ahead and like make that claim, make that statement. You know, that's, that's a big move. And I like that. And I like that Outkast is number two, even though, as we've said, Equimani is better. And I'm with you Well, I, I rank Southern Playlistic above Stanconia also, yeah. but just seeing, you know, when Rob and I were both from Florida, you know, so we were, you know, born and raised in the South. So seeing Southern hip hop represented as high as number two Mm -hmm. uh, is very exciting um, for someone from where we're we're from. And then of course it's between Biggie and Jay-Z, which I get, you know, that's, you know, that's just going to happen on a list like that. But yeah, number one, being uh, ready to die, a little surprising, uh, but at the same time, you know, like it makes total sense. Like no one's going to like, Disagree with it I thought it was probably Going to be It takes a nation Um, But I think Ready to Die Is You know Top five is like a tier Right Like That can almost be Those five can almost Appear in any order And you're like Yep Those are the right five You know So Yeah
2: Absolutely Yeah I I also expected Because I should mention As we were putting This list together I had no idea At least I can't speak for Everybody else But I had no idea Which albums Were going to make The final cut As far as like Number one For instance so yeah, I was I was actually surprised when I saw Ready Ready to Die, I, I should say not so much surprised because like you said you kind of expect that to be high up. But yeah, I, I didn't necessarily know that it would be number one. But it does make sense. It's like okay, I don't know if that would have been my choice. I might have put I might have put Illmatic over Ready to Die honestly, mm-hmm. and I could go into detail about that. But just slightly above it. But it makes sense though. You know, Ready to Die is going to be high on the list. So no one can really be mad at that at the end of the
0: day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look, I, I, again, I, I think the, I think the 10, the top 10 of that list, you know, again, I think you could put, put those really in kind of any order, but I, I don't think there's, there's nothing that came up in the top 10 that I, that I, you know, you scratch your head at and you're like, Oh, I can't believe that. So, I mean, even, even for the people who are, who are going to be critical and be like, Oh, you put the wrong album in or something like that. Like, I think, i think pretty agreeably, the top 10 that made that list are all kind of unanimously great hip hop albums. Starts.
3: Yo, Chuck, the of Rose, man, a two, two six on your G. Yo, man, show what you got. Show, him, show him what you got. This style seems wild. Wait before you treat me like a stepchild. Let me tell you why they got me on file, cause I give you what you lack. Come right in, next back, I'll stand status- a so I care where you at Black in that home. I got a call from Tony Rose. The FBI was tapping my telephone. I never live alone. I never walk alone. My is always ready and they're waiting in my zone. Although I live the life that of a resident, but I've been knowing the scheme that of the president. Tapping my phone. who's screws abuse us are accused of doing harm come on. Come on, come on,
0: come on, come, on. Well, hey, let's speaking of the Public Enemy. Let's start here. How did you get exposed to Public Enemy? What was your What was your first exposure to Public Enemy? What was your first um, kind of response to them? What was your first impression? How did they make you feel when you first heard Public Enemy? Oh man, that's that's a great question. Uh, just I, I heard Public Enemy. Uh, my first,
2: I should say that I heard Yo bum uh, Yo bum rush the show first. Um, I liked that album. I was very young when that came out. That's '87. I probably heard it around the time that it came out, so I must have been like ten years old when that when that dropped. It, it made I, I thought it was interesting. I was looking forward to what Public Enemy would put out uh, later. So when I first heard to answer your question, uh, "It Takes a Nation," I'll never forget. I, I heard it, it was that was back in the cassette days, of course. So. You know, a, fr- a friend of a friend somehow had gotten some like third generation bootleg or whatever, and it was being passed around at school. And I was lucky enough to get my hands on it. And I it just I will never forget. It blew my mind. You know, I I grew up in like a really strict Christian home or whatever, which is ironic because I write about music now. But, uh, you know, oh, same. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. So it's long story short. We at that time, we were not really supposed to be listening to secular music. So my mom would just like, if if anybody, like a friend or whatever came over with music, it's like, don't make sure she's not there because she'll like throw it away or whatever. So somehow that snuck through. And I remember just, just listening to it in awe. It just, everything about it just resonated with me. Just the message, Chuck's voice, which is, I can go into detail later about, that's arguably the greatest voice in hip hop. But just the production, just the way that uh, the Bomb Squad just approached the beats. I had no, critical language at this time for this but it just resonated with like an 11 year old me and of course what they were talking about uh, many of the same books that I was reading at that time so you know when they sample someone like a Malcolm X I'm reading the autobiography of Malcolm X right around that same time so just everything about it the message uh, if I want to talk particular songs I think when, when I knew that I fully loved that album was by the time Black, uh, Black excuse me Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos came on I already loved everything else, but something about those pianos, Chuck's message, Flav backing him up, like with a, almost sounding like he's through a walkie-talkie. Just I'm like, okay, this I'm, I'm locked in. This this is my favorite group of all time. So that that's pretty much it. And from from then on, uh, uh, Farewell Black Planet, all the way up to um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, damn. The one in ninety one, Apocalypse ninety one. Yeah, yeah. I like that one, but to me, in my opinion, that's when Public Enemy starts to kind of slip a little bit. But yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. That, my my favorite group, and so that's that's pretty much how I fell in love with Public Enemy. It, it's incredible to me. So I, I take it you were born late seventies, seventy seven. Yeah. So I was I was born in eighty. So so we're we're both part of that kind of late Gen X, and um, you know, same experience. I I grew up in a very very uh, conservative, like Christian, Christian household and Christian environment. And I can remember the, the pastor of the church that I grew up at, his oldest son was the one who, who really introduced me to hip hop. And what he would do is he would take these, uh, these cassette tapes of, of like missionaries that would come to to the church and he would tape over the one part of the cassette. So you could, so you could tape over it and he would make me copies of hip-hop albums on these tapes so my parents wouldn't get mad because it looked like I just had cassette tapes of these missionaries speaking, and that was where I first heard It Takes a Nation is this like cassette tape, white cassette tape with uh, some missionary's name and contact information on it, but she put it in the boombox, and it played It Takes a Nation to Million <laughs> to Hold Us Back.
2: That is, that's a wild story But wow, definitely can relate. I got
0: yeah.
3: can relate Yeah Court, now in court cause I stole a beat This is a sampling for But I'm giving it a new name What you hear is my P.E. You know the time Now what in the heaven does a jury know about hell If I took it, but they just look at me Like, hey, I'm on a mission Check it out, y'all, conditions ain't right Sitting like dynamite Gonna blow you up and it just might Blow up the bench in Judge the courtroom plus I gotta mention This court is dismissed When I grab the mic Yo, flame What is this? What y'all think y'all doing Bringing us the court for this guy And saying we still in peace Y'all can't copyright no beats Man, your judges they crazy, man hype Come on, we gotcha Gather around, gotcha Man from the courts in jail Claims I stole the beats that I ran. Look at how I'm living like. If they're gonna check the mic right Shit sample this, my pit bull. We ain't going for this. They say that I stole this. Can I get a witness? Understand where we're going. Then listen to this plus my rolling. Coming from down, from below, be bound. Come on, boost up the stereo. Snakes in the morning. Wake up scared, afraid of my warning. They claim that I'm violent. Now I choose to be silent. Can I get a witness?
0: You know, you made mention of, of both It Takes a Nation, It Takes Nation Millions to Hold Us Back in Fear of a Black Planet. But before we before we jump into those two albums specifically, I, I, I do want to bring to mind not just that you contributed to uh, this incredible Rolling Stone recent issue and, and recent article on the 200 greatest rap albums of all time, but back in, was it February of this year or 2021? February of this year. February of 2022, you wrote a powerful article in Rolling Stone, how Public Enemy taught a generation black history. And I, and I think that, I think that so much of what you write in that article is going to help inform where we're going to go in the conversation today around these two albums. So for our listeners, would you mind just sharing a little bit about kind of the, the, the takeaway for you that, that, you know, if, if you will, um, the the kind of thesis that you have of this piece, I, I think it'd be fascinating.
2: Absolutely. Um, yeah. again, thank you. Thank you for uh, making that article up. A lot of great responses on that one, which was uh, really appreciate that. But yeah, just to just to start off with that, um, for one, it was Black History Month. So it was a great opportunity basically to just reassess public. And, and it also it was Black History Month. But also, uh, I believe that Fear of a Black Planet came out in February of 1990. So it was kind of like the anniversary coming up. So it was just a great time to just take a look at that album and what a better time, what better time than black history Month? So kind of the thesis behind that was just like what really happened. I remember I was outside. I'm from that era, as I mentioned earlier, where so many kids my age were like learning about black history through public enemy. It's like, yo, I was listening to Chuck and, you know, I might've heard about Malcolm X. Everybody has heard about King, of course, but I might've heard about X maybe haven't read anything but I heard this Public Enemy song, so now I went and copped a book. So that kind of thing was a very real, that was a very real experience back in the 90s. You were in in the barbershop, for instance. You you went in, in any random barbershop you went into in Black America, but probably not just Black America. Um, But yeah, any barbershop you go into at that time, you were going to hear all type of discussions about many of the things that Chuck was rapping about. um, As far as just like, you know, us needing to get on the same page, stopping the violence, that's KRS as well. But, of course, Chuck was on that as well. Um, uh, as far as what's on It, t- it Takes a Nation, um, Night of the Living Baseheads, which is a anti-crack diatribe, very relevant at that time, of course, because that was the, the peak of the crack era. These were all of the types of things that were just resonating within Black culture at that time. And it was just a very... Rich time as far as what was going on with the violence that was happening in the streets. Because this was, if you remember, you know, you're roughly my age. That was back when, you know, the news every other night was like, today a kid was shot for his Jordans. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, super predator era was not too far from that. So a good counterbalance was what Chuck and them were doing when both it takes a nation and, of course, fear of a black planet. So the thesis of that was just like, let's take a look back at that. And see how much they got right, which is almost everything, which is almost never happened in hip hop. You know, it stands the test of time. You put it on today. Who doesn't resonate today with Fight the Power? You know, and yeah, and, and do the right thing, of course. That was a big part of why that film was so powerful. Um, so, all of this, is, I, I touched on all of that in, in the article. And, uh, you know, it made me just writing it appreciate how much, you know, how great of a, of a testament. Of our time, that album is, and just how timeless
1: it is. Well, what yeah, do you well, think- I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll add something here, too. Well, you'll be, you may be interested in this. I, I teach a class called Peace Studies, P A C E.
0: Nice. And um,
1: I, I use Do the Right Thing in that class. And it's the first time that pretty much all the students in any class that I've taught it have seen the movie, but also um, their first exposure for a lot of them. To public enemy mm-hmm. and I've, I've had some great responses from students who come back from watching the movie they come back in class ready to talk about they're like i was just watching the music video before i came into class like i can't believe i, I haven't heard this song before this is amazing spike lee is a genius public enemy are geniuses you know so uh, there there not a lot of young people are, are hearing it but i found that when they do it, it is still um, very impactful you know over now you know 30 years later uh, which has been really great
2: yeah that, that's awesome man just to, just to know that you know it's still making an impact with kids that young uh, mm-hmm. just yeah that they were definitely tapped into the, that moment and they've proven that it, it, it's resonant to this day right. so yeah that's amazing that's amazing
1: what, what my students loved about do the right thing is how spike uses every frame to tell you something about black history. You know, like there's every, you know, like him always wearing, you know, wearing the Jackie Robinson Jersey. You're like, okay, well, what jersey is he wearing? You looked that up. Um, even like Martin Lawrence's character, you know, him and his group of friends, they have black Panther, you know, so, you know, um, you can look back at, there are different references to, um, instances of police brutality, and um women who have been victims of assault who have had you know important court cases you know just like they use every moment to, to tell a different story in each scene um, under the subtext and for them public enemy does the same thing you know because like you said malcolm x but like okay well who, who's marcus garvey even? You you know, even further back you know so just like the always having to pull back all the layers and then on top of that you know where you know because he's mentioning malcolm x and and the uh, huey newton and uh where are these samples coming from you know and then so that that takes you down through of course james brown but also things like the meters um and all kinds of exciting things so yeah it's just they're they're just like the gift that keeps giving this kind of uniquely post-modern musical tradition that just allows you that gives you something completely different that is looking forward to the future, but is using the past to, you know, pave the way, which I think is just what makes it have s- such longevity for, for new listeners, even.
2: No doubt. And and you, you yes, you hit, you hit the nail on the head and uh, woefully postmodern too. It's like, they definitely knew what they were doing. Uh, mm-hmm. Chuck and flame, of course, but the bomb squad, as far as like how they produced those records, uh, you could tell listening to it, but years, you know, 30 years Plus the interviews, Hank and those guys and the, Hank Shockley and those guys have talked about it, how they were deliberately using those samples to, you know, have this dialogue with the past uh, and, and making it all types of, in many ways, ironic, sometimes even humorous. And then when you add Chuck's, the way Chuck t- titles his songs, to this day, a lot of them are just kind of tongue in cheek, but it might be the most serious message in there. And of course, Flavor Flav with this court jester antics, which is a perfect balance which was very intentional. Chuck has said in interviews, all of this was intentional. We knew we needed like an everyman factor to appeal to like, you know, if we wanted to just not preach to the choir, which is why I guess what happened with so-called conscious rap, which, and you could argue Public Enemy started that, along with KRS-One. But by the 90s, you get this uh, epithet, conscious rap, and most of that stuff was great. I don't like the epithet, and I always disagree with that, that term, which uh, many of those artists disagree with as well. But if there was anything wrong with that type of music in the late 90s, which is diss- diss- dissimilar to what Chuck and were doing, some of it was, was a little too serious. It didn't have quite the heart and the humor and all of that perfect mix and balance to get everyone on the same page. And uh, yeah, postmodern, you know, let's put a uh, let's put a, a James Brown whale in here. Let's just randomly throw a Prince, you know, Darling Nikki sample with him screaming in there. And also a Malcolm X speech on top of that. And it's just just a great amazing mix that just stopped. Just, uh. Here it is! Bam! And you say goddamn, this is a dope jam
3: But let's define the term called dope and you think it ain't funky now No, here is a true tale Why the ones that deal, all the ones that fail Yeah! They want to move, what it groove It's here like the groove The problem is this We gotta fix it, check out the justice And how they run it, selling, smelling stiffin', riffing, And brothers trying to get swift in Selling their own, rob a home While some shrivelable Like comatose walking around Please don't confuse this with the sound I'm talking about Faze, wait, wait
2: Yeah. I, I don't want to get too far ahead because I'll start talking about the bomb squad and get a little too excited, but well,
0: let, just let, let's talk about the bomb squad. Because I think for, for a lot of our listeners, we're, we're talking about the bomb squad and they're not a household name. Like a lot of people who love music and a lot of people who love kind of golden era hip hop don't know who the bomb squad is, but these public enemy albums don't get made without the bomb squad the best Ice Cube album, America's Most Wanted, does not get made without without the Bomb Squad. There you go. One of the most, uh, I mean, one of one of the songs that seems to surpass uh, to to be maybe the most timeless hit to come out of that generation. Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison doesn't exist without the Bomb Squad. Salt yeah. peppas arguably their best album doesn't exist without the Bomb Squad, and yet so few people understand who the Bomb Squad is. So, so for our listeners and for us, dive in, educate us on the Bomb Squad and why they are so important to what we often refer to as the golden age of hip-hop.
2: Absolutely. Uh, for those who don't know, the Bomb Squad, was that's the production unit for Public Enemy, their in-house production team, which consists of Hank Shockley, his brother Keith Shockley, Eric Vietnam Sadler, and Gary G. Witts. And as you, as you said, you know, they were responsible for, you know, their impact is felt to this day. Um, you mentioned ice cube. That's one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, a lot of people don't know that great adventures of slick Rick was also largely produced by the bomb squad. Um, kind of a different sound for them. They went a different, a little bit more toned down, but yeah, just the impact was, was huge, but yeah, what they did, as far as in, in interviews, they talk about their approach, as far as how they made music and the, the, level of in, in, the level of ingenuity for that, it's just like they would take 10 records, uh, Hank has said, and just like randomly take like say 10 records and just go through them meticulously until they found exactly which sound that they, they wanted to utilize. And this takes, you, you know, you have to know music to know exactly what you're looking for on that level and to do it that efficiently. So it's like, let's take this random ass <laughs> saxophone whale Okay, let's take this moan Let's take this distorted guitar riff and let's just put all of these things together and just make this gumbo of just like sound or whatever. So it's like, if I had to describe the Bomb Squad sound, um, it's like an upgrade of what people said on Coltrane, I guess his sheets of sound. You could say the Bomb Squad is like a whole bed set of sound. It's like everything. It's like everything with the kitchen sink, but just done in a just purposely I guess it's, it's supposed to offend your sensibilities, but in a good way. And, you know, yeah. So that, that's pretty much what the Bomb Squad was up to. And their influence to this day, like if you listen to like what Pete Rock was doing in the early 90s, that, that was an upgrade of what the Bomb Squad started as far as like all of those different samples thrown in a mile a minute with those, you know, crazy fast VPNs. And even Dr. Dre, you know, which he's actually mentioned in interviews as well. Um, You know, Dr. Dre starting with probably uh, 100 miles of running all the way up to even the the chronic. Um, That influence that the Bomb Squad just said is just major in our culture. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's throw this, you know, random guitar that sounds like it's been put through some sort of crazy amp or whatever. This wah-wah pedal that feels like you're being kicked in the stomach, (laughs) something like that. And then just somebody just randomly talking over that. Um, yeah, very int- the intentional, postmodern, avant-garde, way ahead of its time. Like I said in my piece, I was like, at the end of it, I was like, you know, shout out to Tony Morrison uh, and um, Sun Ra. I was like, you know, they can't, you know, the culture demanded something different. And Public Enemy came in 1990 with Fear of a Black Planet. Like, yo, I, we've been to the future. Let me find out that Milkman dead from you know, Tony Morrison's Song of Solomon is on Mars eating hog mars with Sun Ra. That was basically like the vibe that, you know, they put out there. It was just like super ahead of its time, super black, but also super universal. And that last thing, that universality is super important because public enemy shows back in the day, you know, many of those skits, not to jump too far ahead, but many of those skits on, uh, it takes a nation, Europe, you know? So the whole world was in love with this sound for good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The rhythm
0: before we get into these two albums as we think about public enemy and where they exist in, in the history of hip hop, but it's specifically in this era, in this 87 to, you know, 93 kind of golden age of hip hop, what sets public enemy apart? I mean, what, what are, what are some of the ways in which public enemy is not like everything else that's happening in the hip hop world at the time?
2: First and foremost, the sub- the substance, obviously, the Black nation- nationalist message, which was, that's their, you know, that is their, um, you know, mission statement on every literally everything they do, which is k- saying something. Because, you know, as you said, that's the golden age. So the golden age being the golden age, everybody was kind of substantive. Some sub- substances, ah, I can't speak today. Everyone had substance back in the day, uh, mm-hmm. more or less. Like, I, and when I say that, I mean, like, You know, think of someone like a heavy D who back then was a respected rapper It was considered pop rap. But look at go back and look at uh, uh, self-destruction. He's on there. So it's like so many people had a message. So in the 80s, it was really it's it's kind of almost a you know, it's it's you know, it doesn't say much to say, you know, the message stood out. But Public Enemy's message was that, you know, serious on everything that they did. Uh, it was literally, let's make the planet jump to the education, which Chuck says in his lyrics. So first and foremost, it's that message. Other than that, it's the um, it's the imagery. It's, uh, you know, the S1Ws, which cut a striking contrast, you know, these guys through the Vizlong, Uh Slave right there, though, with his hat turned to the side and the big crop, you know, screaming, yeah, boy. You know, it's that. It's the iconography that, uh, you know, the scope with the you know the, the beret, their logo, it's all of those things, and just that message, Chuck's voice, uh, the he's no slouches in MC, of course, but the message, his voice, um, the samples, of course, and the songs, which are anthems to this day. All of those things made Public Enemy stand out as opposed to so many other rappers that were their contemporaries, who are all great. A, a great quick story is how. You know Chuck has mentioned that it takes a nation was particularly inspired by Big Daddy Kane. You know mm-hmm. this is coming off A lot of people didn't know that, but uh, you know they were considered kind of like an underdog dog group, which sounds wild now. But you, coming off of like Yo Bum Rush the Show in '87, they kind of had like a point to prove. And you know Chuck talks about just hearing Kane one day was kind of a new style. Obviously, Rakim gets credit for you know digging up the. You know, upgrading the rap lingo, Franka, Franka uh, at, so to speak. But Kane was right there as far as just like the fast rap and just the diction and all of that. So Chuck mentions, you know, we heard, you know, right before it takes a nation, we heard Kane, and we were like, yo, we got to step our game up. Like it's a new sound in rap, and it's just like it sounds faster, it's harder, it's more lyrically intense. So I guess we can low key give Kane credit for. Kind of inspiring, <laughs> at least the vibe and the sound of It Takes a Nation. But yeah, that, uh, I, again, I'm going a very long way to answer your question, but just to wrap it up, that was kind of the climate. It's like a lot of battle rap. So you got Cain, you got Rakim, which is a lot of battle rhymes, but of course, Godbody sort of Nation of Islam, sort of inspires, uh, not Nation of Islam, 5% uh, uh, teachings in, in his message, but a lot of kind of battle rhymes. So Chuck and them kind of took the page from or took the torch from Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel, The Message, which is territory that for for some reason just kind of got left alone for a number of years. They took that and made a whole album out of it, a whole career out of it. And to this day, you know, that's what Chuck stands for as far as his activism, his politics and all of that. So all of those reasons make Public Enemy stand out among all of the many other great artists from the golden age.
1: hmm I want to point out one more thing about public enemy and their approach um one thing i read about it takes a nation in particular is that they wanted to make hip-hop's what's going on you know so they they were very conscious of like album oriented music and like really not not just singles where hip-hop you know the story of like early hip-hop kind of is like the single or like a song that you know, a song had the power to completely change the game. And they were more focused on like an entire record being a statement and changing, you know, hip hop in, in that way. Um, so, but outside of what's going on, they're also concerned with music outside of hip hop. Um, so in one of the, or not in one of the, but, um, one of the kind of inspirations for when the group got together in the beginning, was to be the hip hop equivalent of the Clash, mm. and so you know the Clash, which was is abrasive. You know when they came out of the gate, you know abrasive punk rock music that also borrowed from you know other black music traditions, and um, you know had political statements, you know, and throughout their you know entire career, and um, when Mick Jones leaves the clash uh he forms big audio dynamite which is they are sampled on uh public enemy on um i think it's it takes a nation um so yeah so they're they're also inspired by punk rock music which i think is why public enemy's brand of hip-hop becomes much more abrasive even than like you know boogie down you know productions and you know the criminal minded which comes out the same time as their first record
2: yep yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Last thing is that, yeah, you, you mentioned what's going, kind of like their, their version of what's going on. That's another thing that I, how can I not mention that? It's, I did mention that in the article, but yeah, it's, what makes them stand out is literally the first hip hop album, It Takes a Nation, to be taken serious by critics, you know, mm-hmm. in much the same way that I guess for rock. It's like, oh, this is, you know, back in the 60s, this is like bubblegum surfer music kind of bullshit. It's like, okay, but now the Beatles came out with Sgt. Pepper's. This is like art now. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like in many ways, uh, I would go, I I agree. I I would say more so what's going on. But the way that it played out in the 80s, the way critics treated it was much like how, I guess, they treated the Beatles back in the 60s. It's like, we don't take this seriously until, oh, wow, now we take it seriously.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: The way, of course way of and course. i'm keeping Keepin you from sleeping Creepin and on the stage i rage and i'm rolling, rolling. and to the poor i pour and all the metaphors and metaphor. not bluffing there's nothing that we ain't did before we Go. played the state, the points made you consider it done by the profit the rage what the people say yo grip you and s one w get to the east side we got to take for the east side g i roll with the punches so i survive So try to rock cause it keeps the crowd alive
0: So let's let's dive into "It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back." Uh, I, I mean, g- generally regarded as if if not the one of the most important hip hop albums. We can talk later about whether or not it's their best album, but generally regarded as one of the most important hip hop albums in history. What is it about this album that is so important and has given it such longevity now? I mean, man, uh, almost 35 years after it came out. In many ways, the first concept album for rap, uh, you know, because it was a singles
2: game. You know, when you think about the early eighties, Curtis Blow, uh, even Houdini, there were albums out, but no one was really looking at an uh, hip hop at that time. Like, I want to go cop a whole album. It's like, yo, where's the 12 inch? Let me cop that And, and let me get doubles of it at that. But it's like, to, to an actual album that you could take home and just like play and just zone into like that. And not only just that, cause this being 88, it's like, yeah, you can take this home, but this is like the, the, uh, the height of like the, you know, club. So it's like rooftop. It's like, especially the Latin quarter here in New York or whatever. It's like people are outside dancing and stuff. So it's like both of those things It's like, let me see what this does on the dance floor, but I can also just throw this on, you know, my record player at home just and zone out and just really just be in tune with it. Both of those things. So it's like, yeah, the first, first actual concept album for hip for hop. And just as far as the message, um, like I said, just, that was the right time. It was just every once in a while in every era, something just happens just it's like in the air, I guess. And for the eighties, that was just like Afrocentric period. So you know, uh, and KRS, shout out to KRS. He mentions this later on and uh, what's the song, Out of Here? Mm-hmm. He, of course, name checks himself, he, he, you know, shouts himself out, but also mentions uh, public enemies. Like, we started consciousness in rap. You know, people were tired of hearing the old uh, hip-hop sound and they wanted something different. Another contrast to that is LL. I always, you know, I, I bring up LL a lot, who I love, by the way, one of my favorite MCs. But a good example of why Public Enemy stood out in 88 is, conversely, why LL was kind of on the wane by, like, say, 89. I say that because LL, what he represented, like, in 89 was, like, everything he kind of started with, which was cool. But it's like, you know, the macho lover man, I'm just not really concerned with consciousness, really. It's more about bragging about what I got. I'm rocking my gold rope. I got my red Kangol on. And by 89, because this really was started in 88, but 89 was the pinnacle. It's like, nah, that's dead. (laughs) Like, if you want to put out music, you got to be in tune with what the streets are in tune with. And what people in general, and this, I I cannot, I I have to mention why it resonated so much with the streets. People were just tired of everything that was happening as far as the extrajudicial killings of Blacks which unfortunately is still going on today at much the same rate. Um, you know, Yusuf Hawkins, which in many ways, you know, his murder, the teen out in, uh, I believe, what was that, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, you know, in 1989, that in many ways inspired Do the Right Thing. Um, that type of thing was happening over and over and over and over again. Of course, you know, generations in America, but particularly in the late 80s, people felt like enough was enough. And so something about that, just that being in the air and just a good time for people to just be in touch with Afrocentricity, rocking the beads and African medallions, that just was bubbling in the streets. So Mm -hmm. Public Enemy comes along with this album that's touching on all of that. And it's entertaining, it's funny, it's got jokes. Uh, You know, it's just up to date. The sounds, uh, shout out to rest in peace to Combat Jack. Uh, great pot you know one of the greatest podcasters of all time he had a great interview with Chuck D a few years ago before he passed where he talks he he tells Chuck you know being in New York in the 80s he's like I remember hearing Public Enemy for the first time and not knowing who that was I kept hearing like the same shit I'm like yo that shit sounds like it's the hardest drug dealer to me he's like to me it sounded like I thought it was drug dealers because it's like that's all who I heard playing it like back in like say 88 so that just the fact that drug dealers and Chuck being very anti drug were big were playing that music at the time shows how hands-on deck, how you know how in tune they were with every everything in the streets. So all of those different factors is why that album just resonated the way it did. And as you said,
0: most important hip hop album of all time. One of the things that you referenced there, and and I don't want to I don't want to oversimplify this, but but I do think it it points towards a shift this kind of consciousness of of hip hop music and and look there's a ton of you know early run-dmc stuff ll cool j stuff that is it, it's a lot of what we ended up hearing again in the late 90s and in, in 2000s which is which is rap that is essentially about me it, it's rap that it is here's who i am Here's what I can do. Here's what I have. Here's why I'm the best. Um, it's it's wrapped that it's about me. This shift that begins to happen that Public Enemy really ushers in is hip hop that's about we. There you go. It's not about me. It's about we. It's about us. It's about what's it's about what's happening to us. And there's a power. Uh, there there's a power both in the music and there's a, there's almost a political power. There's almost like a social power that comes when, when the, the, the object of your message is not yourself, but the community at large. And, and we see that so much on, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. What was it like to live through that shift and that transition what what happens to the hip-hop world at large as public enemy releases an album this important in in this influential
2: electric it was just electric <laughs> just you know i like i said i went out and copped. you know me me and a bunch of my friends at that time i went out and copped like a few african medallions. you know i had like the, the Kente claw I was already reading a uh, autobiography of Malcolm X, which is just fortuitous at that time. Um, you know, I grew up in that kind of household, fortunately, where I was exposed to art and books. And, you know, we were heavy on black history and just history in general. So that was something, especially around age 11, which that was the age that I was when uh, It Takes a Nation came out. I was kind of already on that path. So it was just really great timing for me for that album which happens to be my favorite album to drop right then while i was just really getting interested in all of this stuff but it was just it was just an electric time period it's just almost impossible to describe just man just everyone I, i hate to reference movies for those who are too young and were not outside uh speaking of do the right thing just a year later 1989. Uh, that scene right at the end where they, you know, Radio Rahim gets killed. I hope I'm not spoiling a 30-year-old movie for someone. You know, if you guys haven't seen it, please, I advise you to go see Do the Right Thing. It's a great film. But other than that, I don't want to spoil it. But like at the end, just to sum up, like for those who were not outside to see it, uh, if you look at that scene where the whole crowd is out there just enraged, and rightfully so, because yeah. of this police brutality, You you see a whole cross-section, and Spike did a great job of of putting that in in the film. Everyone was out there. You know, there's Mother Sister. There's, uh, you know, the mayor, uh, the great Ozzy Davis, and, of course, Ruby Dee, who uh, is Mother Sister. But, you know, those are the elders. Martin's character, who is kind of, you know, these are like young, kind of just regular people around the neighborhood. But just random extras. You see, like, a, a kid with a flat top, and I noticed a public enemy shirt. This is 1989 just in the background. Nobody knows who this guy is. He's just a random extra in a Spike Lee film, but that, that's how that looked back then. Again, I can't stress enough how different that is from what it became just a few years later when I guess conscious rap, and I'm thinking of like the Raucous era uh, when, when, when that term really became a thing, that was a very different sort of vibe, great stuff, a lot of great music, but unfortunately in, in many ways it was unfortunate because Money came in as it does in the industry, and things got divided up. So it's like we have to come up with these terms to classify everything. So it wasn't quite the same. Everyone is on the same page just feeling this music. It could, could be the, the biggest drug dealer out there. And that was the vibe, by the way, to answer your question. The, the cat out there selling the most drugs in the community back then might have been like, you know what, I might be doing wrong, but I can't even hold you. This public enemy is great. This is, a, this is great music, shouts to Chuck. And the whole community had Chuck's back, as they should, because he represented us 1,000%. Put that target on his back in many ways, almost literally, and lived and died by everything that he said. So in New York, you were not going to say nothing against <laughs> Chuck and have that fly. You know, the whole nation would have been, uh, nation of Islam would have been out at your at your neck for something like that. And any other city, uh, I imagine as well. The, the co- whole culture was alive, and it wasn't like this sort of split that you saw later on where it's like, okay, these are like the conscious sort of educated, I guess, boho people that listen to this. And I guess these are the guys over here who listen to mainstream. It's like, no, back then, everyone was listening to that. And it was just a very, just a live, living document. And just there's no way to describe how electric it felt back then.
1: Yeah, I want to just add on a couple more things just about that period, you know, 1988. I mean, we haven't said it explicitly yet, but the war on drugs, right, is is huge. And, like, the militarization of police is is really kind of what we've been, like, skirting around here. Um, Going in and just clearing out black neighborhoods, right, Uh, with mandatory sentencing. Um, We're not at the three-strike rules yet, but, I mean, the golden era of hip-hop is almost from, like, you know, the, the end of the Reagan era and, like, kind of the height of the war on drugs up to the 94 crime bill almost, you know, like you can't really separate the war on drugs and the golden era of hip hop because they have the same timeline. Um, but another important hip hop historical moment is uh, the death of someone like Scott LaRock in 87, mm-hmm. right. Which is um, forcing hip hop artists to kind of re-examine the culture. Right. And, and so this is where I think the emphasis uh, on black nationalism and Afrocentrism kind of becomes to the forefront of hip hop finally. It's not about the Adidas, the Kingle hats, the gold chains. It is about the enlightenment. Um, after the death of like the you know a hip hop martyr, you know, style of rock. Absolutely.
3: Yep. So now we can do this. Here we go again. Get it on, like we said before. See the brothers, the trouble, hate the busted bubble, cause we rumble from our lower level. To condition your condition, we're gonna do a song that you've never heard before. Make it all jump along through the education. Brothers, going to work it out and stop chasing.
0: there's two big things that happen between these two albums coming out. In in one, we've talked about a lot already. And, in, and the other one we haven't even alluded to. So fear. Of, uh, so it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Um, really universally critically praised sells a million copies within a year. Um, a very, very successful album. It is the first hip hop album to top a number of year end lists. It is the first hip hop album to win the village voice um, kind of album of the year in 1988. I mean, this it is a landmark hip hop album, but, but there's also the realities that come with that, which is now this group is, is suddenly thrust into a national stage and national spotlight that. You know, certainly I think Chuck D was prepared for, but not everyone was. And so famously, Professor Griff, one of the one of the members of Public Enemy, um, you know, got, got caught basically in an interview saying some pretty awful anti-Semitic things. It ultimately led to some controversy and then he was ultimately uh, dismissed from the group as they were working on the follow-up album, Fear of a Black Planet, and there was so much controversy around the things Professor had said and him ultimately leaving the group, that Def GM pushed the release of the album almost seven months. So an album that really should have come out in 1989 doesn't come out until April of, of 1990. And what happens is the original release date, the original planned release date of this album was going to coincide with a new movie by an up and coming director named Spike Lee called do the right thing. And the lead single from this album was going to be fight the power. And it was going to be the kind of theme Song from this movie. But because of everything that ends up happening, the movie comes out and the culture is living with Fight the Power as a song and as a single for seven months before this album actually comes out. All of this happens in less than two years during a period of which there are a ton of eyes looking at Public Enemy. And then we receive. Fear of a Black Planet. And if there were any pulled punches on It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, there were none on Fear of a Black Planet. This is an unapologetic album.
3: Going, going, gone. I doubt not won one a long time ago. Don't you see how late they're reacting? They only come when they come so get the more truck and then bomb the corner. They don't care cause they stay paid anyway. They treat you like an ace that can't beat the betrayed. I know you stumble with no use, people. If your life is on the line, then you're dead today. Late with the late comers, that's a body bag in disguise, y'all. I'll bet ya. I call them body statues cause they come to fetch you with an autopsy ambulance just to dissect ya. They are the other king cause they swing amputation. Lose your arms, your legs, your limbs compilation. I can prove it to you, watch the rotation. The late get up get, get, get down.
0: Will tell us a little bit about Fear of the Black Planet and what we need to know about this album and its influence and importance in hip hop world.
2: Man, you, man, they, like like you said, they it's it, they doubled down on this one, man. It's just all of that energy, the righteous rage, everything that the culture just was where everyone was at. I would argue that for everything that I've spent all this time, you know, talking about how it felt outside and what was resonating with the culture, I, I want to say arguably, but it's not arguably a fact. If you were around in 1990, this album, Fear of Black Planet, touched it, it, it was more in, t- in tune with the culture than even It Takes a Nation. Let me be very clear about that, and I don't want to anticipate a question that might come up a little bit later as to what which album is actually better I'm going to leave that alone for now I'm not going to say I won't get uh, what I'll just say is impact wise and as far as where public enemy was at there I cannot think of another group in hip hop, another great classic group who's had like that one two punch to that degree. Ice cube might come close because I remember like uh, you know america's most wanted in my opinion is his best album but a lot of people swear by death certificate which is great as well that's really really close for a lot of reasons and it, um, not surprisingly ice cube is a fellow traveler or disciple you could even say of chuck D. Uh, and a lot of that makes sense but uh, yeah there's never been a group a classic group was able to just kind of just completely capitalize on the moment that they had already, you know, what they'd, the precedent they've set with a classic album and deliver something that might be pound for pound better. There I go, I'm kind of anticipating it. I'm just going to say right now, without ranking it officially, I, the best I can say, I'm Ice Cube as far as hip hop, but if I have to mention like, say, cinema, take the Godfather films. Like a lot of people will say, which one is the better film, better versus greater. So it's like Godfather 1, versus Godfather 2. And you can make a case that Godfather 2 is technically better than Godfather 1. But is it greater? I don't know. It's like the impact of that first one is probably greater. But anyway, that's that's kind of the vibe that was out there as far as fear of a black planet. The streets and just what people were feeling. And you mentioned a little film that some people might have heard about called Do the Right Thing. You know, little known film. <laughs> no, but jokes, jokes aside, yeah, that that... In and of itself, was a big part of the reason why, uh, you know, that that was such a great moment. You know, when you look at that video, and especially when you know the history, which I talk about in my article, what Chuck was going for, it's like, okay, we're gonna do this, you know, this this anthem that Spike wants us to craft for his new movie. Let's let us let us kind of make our own post soul update of James Weldon Johnson's uh, "Lift Every Voice and Sing," which people know is the black national, so called black national anthem that was what fear of a black planet is and when you look at that video you know and and in many ways echoes to the march march on selma or march on washington i should say uh just in 1989 and again you see the fruit of islam regular people out on the streets everybody tapped in with these great uh, in brooklyn bedside i believe is where that was shot um uh, you know, iconography from x just all of this great rich black history on display during that moment when it just felt so crucial again, with what was happening with the uh, killings of unarmed blacks at that time, just what was bubbling in the nation. Not everybody agreed with what say Farrakhan was saying, you know, but he he was an important figure at that time. So just that vibe was out there. So public enemy just completely nails it with this second album Mm -hmm. and just these great songs on there, not just, uh, uh, Fight the Power, which is an anthem and arguably one of their best songs. But Welcome to the Terror Dome. Yeah. Also, one, yeah. I, I can, I, I want to say, I was going to say it's underrated, but it's not. It's just a really, really great song that just, I, I, it may not get as much mention as some of the songs on It Takes a Nation, but just amazing. And so many other great songs on that album. Burn Hollywood
0: Burn. That's another one with, uh, you know, Dick Chuck- Daddy Kane. But but I will say I think burn Hollywood burn uh, so for, you know for me again and and will you and I share this is that I can remember living through the L A riots and and again not I was I didn't live on the West Coast I, you know was living through them from from a television screen but yeah. I, I think likewise that, I think it's so easy because of because of where it was I think it's so easy to soundtrack the L A riots with NWA. But the reality is a song like burn Hollywood burn on fear of a black planet. And, and by the way, this whole album has much more to say. And I think much more meaningful things to say than And again, I, this isn't a diss on NWA, but I think this album has much more to say to the experiences that were happening in LA during that period of time than anything on the NWA album does you could definitely make
2: that case yeah absolutely and this being 1990 it's and you could even say that it's somewhat anticipated unfortunately what what would happen with the l.a riots
1: Yeah. yeah
3: Ticket, hear the drummer get wicked. Yeah. The crew to you to push the back the black attack. So I sack it, jab and, and slap the yeah. Mac. Now I'm ready to my yeah. like it. Hear yeah. my favoritism, Rolo. Never be a brother like me, go solo. Yeah. Laser Anastasia Major, ways to blaze your brain and train ya. The way I'm living, forgiving what I'm giving up. X on the black me now. there about later, and for now I know how to avoid the paranoid yeah. men I've had it up to here, yeah, I wear got them going in fear, yeah. rhetoric said and red, just a bit ago, and I'm quick to go sign the hard yeah. runner. work the keep from getting jerked, changing some ways, yeah. The way back in the better yeah. days. more metaphysically bold, never follows the code. Still drop the load, never question what I am, God knows. <laughs> of coming from the heart, what I got? Better get some, get on up, hustler of culture. bitch been spit in the face, huh. But the rhymes keep fitting. Respects been given, how's your living? Now I can't protect, I paid off feedback. Check the record and reckon, intentional wreck. Brain, offense, of some intellect. Made the call, took the form, broke the laws. Not my fault that they fall off. Known as fair, square throughout my years. So I growl at the lifestyle. black to the bone, my home is your home, but welcome to the Terridome.
1: yeah I wanted to say something too Rob I mean as you know something I want to add on while you're setting up fear of a black planet as you know there are you know the there are controversies um like with with their minister of information but that's not even the most controversial thing about them at the time the, now the controversy is they're so big now that white audiences have their attention and yeah. that becomes a problem for them. Yeah. You know, now white people are scared because now their kids are, you know, listening to people who are carrying like guns on stage or perceived to be talking about drugs at the least because maybe drug dealers are, are listening to it. Um, but also because fear of black nationalism. Mm-hmm. Right. They're responding to white people's, you know, kind of fear of hip hop music and hip hop culture and of public enemy. And but the thing that they're fearing, right, it isn't the riot. It, it is just black intellect. Yeah. You know, and, you know, um, you know, there's just them uh, as, as a music act toppling white supremacy through the content of their music and the intensity of their music. Right. You know, so that that's kind of where they, they really double down, you know, whereas the cover for it takes a nation is like them behind bars and the back cover around the outside of the record is them like breaking out, you know, fear of black planet. Right now, we're not just talking about like local level right now is it is atmospheric like global, you know, the cover is, you know, the public enemy logo eclipsing the earth. Right. They, they are, you know, saying it like, hey, this is for like global domination. Absolutely. I should
2: mention just to go to go way back to, the, to our beginning of our conversation, when I was mentioning how I first fell in love with, uh, you know, It Takes a Nation, I should mention it was a white kid who actually loaned me that tape. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That just shows hmm. that, you know, it was universal even back then. Obviously, got more so as, you know, Public Enemy's profile raised. And much to the detriment of the powers that be, which they were fighting. But yeah, just absolutely. Just it, you, yes, it taught a whole generation of, and continues to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can put those albums on today and just learn so much about our history. Our history. Not just what Chuck is saying in, in, in the lyrics, but of course the samples as well. And just the whole sound and the whole vibe and the videos. They, they should always get more credit for their videos, which mm-hmm. were super cutting edge and ahead, ahead of the time.
1: I, I it's directed be- by spike yeah yeah that's that's true and well i also want to say that i mean now the albums are hip now they are history you know now they they are part of history and you can go to them to learn about things long ago but they also give you language and tools to understanding today mm-hmm. you know what i mean like when you because now, Rob, you're saying it's tragic that you know all this stuff is still relevant. But I mean, so is what's going on that that just had its 50th anniversary. Yeah, you know, Superfly's 50th anniversary is is this year. It's still very relevant in a number of ways. And when, but when you listen to to something like this, it, it grounds things because so many of my students who I mentioned earlier, they'll say things like, "Yeah, you know, race is like really important now." Um, now <laughs> he's just like. Oh, that's interesting. That's why when I show them do the right thing, they're like, wait a minute, this happened. Cause there's like a <laughs> scene do the right thing. There's that scene to the right thing when they're on the street, the same thing you're talking about, Will, where they, they, you know, now, you know, the, the, the kind of slogan is, you know, say her name and say his name. And that scene yeah. literally happens to do the right thing where they just go down. It's a, like a tracking shot and they all just name all the names of like kind of the recent, you know, uh, deaths of black people. And so you listen, you watch that and you listen to their music, and you're like, oh, oh, this has been happening. So now and it's still happening. So and it's still enlightening them on how to understand the world around them. And I'm thinking about that even on something like um nine one one is a joke. Yeah. Mm. Which, you know, is you know, uh, part tragedy, part comedy. Yeah. But in, in his flave instead of Chuck D, which is which is very interesting, and unfortunately, reality TV has kind of rebranded uh, flave in the in the eyes and the minds of a lot of people. Um, but you know, nine one one is a joke. Kind of gives you the tools to kind of look, listen to that potentially. <laughs> Facts.
2: That's a, that's a fact. Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah, that's that that. Oh man, what a great example of how that album uh, Fear of a Black Planet continues to be educational to this day that uh, is a joke great example because yeah that was in black community that's been like a thing forever it's like Mm -hmm. again that's why and the brilliance again of of chuck and of course flave to to know that and make it funny because it's the best way i can describe it is the phrase that we've used in our communities for so long you know you gotta laugh to keep them crying that kind of thing Mm -hmm. that's kind of a whole vibe of what that song 911 is a joke is. And before the song in our communities, we would say things like that. It's like, yo, you're going to, you know, if you're going to get, don't get shot on this block because if you do, police ain't going to be here for like, you know, they're going to be here tomorrow. So, you Mm -hmm. know, just, just watch where you go. (laughs) It's like, good luck with that. (laughs) So that was kind of like a a long running thing, unfortunately, in our communities, but, you know, being resilient that we've always been, just making something out of nothing and you know, humor and rich just heritage and culture, just being able to laugh sometimes at things that are not so funny and really not so cool. So yeah, they really tapped into that with that song and just Flave has so many funny lines about like what literally was happening at that time. It's like, yo, I can't even, you know, I'm trying to call help, call for help. And you know, they're not even showing up. And then of course, later tragically, we see something that's not funny at all happen 2015 when Mike Brown uh, was, was murdered and, you know, we find out later that, you know, his body laying cold for how many hours, you know, nobody even responding to that. And that was a police officer, of course, who, you know, committed that crime. So, yeah, you know, it's, it definitely, it, it's that dialogue continues to this day and, you know, they found a way to make it funny and, you uh, Again, Flav, his whole court jester antics being a big part of why that appeal was was what it was back then.
0: Yeah, it's all intentional. It's funny. He knows that some of the most difficult truths are said in jest, and so he's he's funny when he needs to be. He's serious when he needs to be. And you know, Flav obviously is funny most of the times until he says something where you think he's being funny, and the funny thing he says is the most hard hitting thing you hear on the album.
2: Uh-huh. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I mentioned just real quick, speaking of that, yeah, they really kind of wrote that. They, they, they really nailed that. But uh, I, in the article I mentioned, like years, a couple years later um, or a few years later, the film CB, CB4, which of course is a, a cult classic, Chris, Chris mm-hmm. Rock's film. Um, the, you know, that just shows kind of like what the vibe was turning into on both sides. And when I say both sides, I mean, so-called conscious rap, Mm-hmm. Uh, not like Public Enemy, for instance, which who has that humor, who has a Chuck D, who can kind of make some light out of some pretty dark stuff and, of course, play it. By In the year of 1990, that was probably the pinnacle of so-called black nationalist rap. You had uh, X-Clan, who they made a lot of great music, but X-Clan represented something a little bit different. It was really serious. And to, from today, you can almost it's kind of. Funny in a certain way. It's like wow, they were really serious. But yeah, I mentioned CV4 because you know Chris Rock just 1993. Three years later, it's it's a clearly enough in the culture for that to be a thing where it pops up in the movie where he has these over the top like sort of gangsters, which is the typical CV4 character. But on the other side, he has these members who I guess break up and become like so called conscious rappers now. And a lot of he has a lot of fun with that like I guess the conscious rap in that film is summed up by just saying I'm black y'all. And that was kind of the vibe. It's like, okay, come on. Y'all. It's like, mm-hmm. not that like black and white. It's not like super over the top gangster on one side and on the other side, it's like, all you got to do is wear a kufi and say I'm black. It's like, there's more to it than that. Yeah. If you go in any barbershop, you're going to get that humor and you're going to get that enlightenment and that's going to give you a little bit closer to what the real picture is and that's what this great album a Black Planet does it gives you a realistic picture of everything and they uh, i mentioned as well they touched on a few things they they made some improvements message wise a uh, little known fact for a lot of people is that they chuck Pump, chuck uh, got a little bit of um you know backlash when it it, it takes a nation came out for the song sophisticated bitch uh, some people said that that was uh you know, misogynistic to a certain degree. So I, I think on several songs on Fear of a Black Planet, it slips my mind which one in particular now, but they make up for that. They, mm-hmm. you know, he, there's a few songs where he, he talks about, you know, how important Black relationships are and how, you know, having a strong woman to to back you up. So they really improved on that. Of course, 911 one is a joke. Uh, Welcome to the Terra Dome. That's another standout. My favorite offer of there, again, is kind of a deep cut, but I would have to say Brother's Gonna Work It Out is one of my favorites One that out.
3: Just turn it up. Power to the people, y'all. Hey, turn me loose. Turn it up. Get on up. Get into it. Get involved. feel the bass as the cut falls. Hey, to the brothers with the 808. Like I said before, P.E. got a prayer. New funk, turn it up, boom the trunk, yeah. Internationally known on the microphone, making sure the brothers will never leave you alone. To my sisters, sister, yes we missed ya. Let's get it together, make a nation. You can bet on it, no sleep in it don't sleep on it the truth is so deep in it. Turn it up.
0: Well, Will, I, I wanna ask you a question that you you've pretty much already let the cat out of the bag on <laughs> um but but i love that i love that listening to you talk about these two albums the way that you talk about fear of a black planet um th- there's there's a passion as you talk about it so well we've we've brought you on really to kind of help settle this debate for us uh-oh I mean, more people what, in, more people in the mentions huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, well, we we figure you know, look if you've already been willing to do it in Rolling Stone, you, you know our our podcast listenership doesn't go anywhere near the publication list of Rolling Stone. If you're willing to do it in the magazine, you're certainly going to be willing to do it here for us. <laughs> of what, course, of course. What do you think is the best Public Enemy album?
2: Uh, just flat out, the best Public Enemy album is "Fair of a Black Planet." Uh, I have to again just quickly differentiate between great versus best.
1: Hmm.
2: it takes a nation history will prove that that's the greater album quote unquote. It just had more impact, particularly for when it came out, mm-hmm. you know, again, Sergeant Peppers, I guess people could say, I guess, what rubber, uh, uh, what is it? Revolver, Revolver. Revolver? Yeah. Revolver and Sergeant Peppers. Many people would argue that revolver's the better album, but is it greater than, than Sergeant Peppers? No. Uh, you know, it, I it, it, fear of a black planet is the better album. Technically pound for pound production is better. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Chuck even rhymes a little bit better on this album. So that would be my choice as far as my personal favorite. I was 13 when that came out. So just a few years in that, those few years back then are crucial. you yeah. know. So
0: that's, I, I, that's a perfect age.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So that, yeah, I, I would, that's my personal favorite.
1: Well, then we'll, we'll ask you this way though, since, we're building a list we're creating a list of the 100 you know greatest albums of all time that's the language that we we typically use right so when looking at these you know yeah well when looking at these two albums and this might be the same answer and might be essentially the same question um which album thinking of it in terms of that do you think should be on the list fear of a black planet or takes a nation
2: if you can pick you. Up one. Wow, this is really, man. This is See, a that's a different to, question, right? Yeah. I, I, get, I get exactly what you're saying, too. It's kind of, if I had to say, a gun to my head decision. Having said everything that I just said about Fear of a Black Planet, I would probably put, um, it takes a nation. Mm-hmm. And again, even though Fear of a Black Planet, there is going to be more passion for me personally, because again, I was just a little bit older when that came out. Uh, I know, happen to know from a critic standpoint, and of course, just what I felt back then, it might be technically better. But I have to go as far as what, if we're making a list, it has to be It Takes a Nation. And that's personal and just the general impact-wise as well. Again, the personal goes back to our beginning of our discussion. That is the first rap album that I fell in love with. Maybe the only one after that was a few years later with Low End Theory. So those were like my two favorite groups, PE and Tribe. But yeah, for that reason, so yeah, first album I fell in love with, just listening to it, this is blowing me away. This is beyond just like, just a rapper just saying something that sounds slick that I just am falling in love with that I want to rewind. I want to do all of that on this album, but I also just want to learn and just vibe out with it. So because of that reason, number one, and number two, just what it's just represented for the culture just in general, excuse me, being the more important album. So buy it. I I almost don't want to make the decision, but I would have to say that the list, it would have to
1: be a Texas nation. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's been my struggle. Mm -hmm.
0: But, uh, but I will say, I I think I, I I actually agree with your point, which is for me, I I think it takes a nation of millions to hold us back is a more important album. I think fear of a black planet is a better album. It is. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I, am I'm, I'm in full agreement with you there. Um, and, and so really then, then the question that we'll, we'll figure out, you know, for hours after, after we've let you go <laughs> is, is figuring out how do we make the decision between those two things.
3: In the land with the of saying mixing up race, make the blood impure. She's yeah. a woman, I'm a man. Look at your face, I see you can't stand oh. it. Oh.
0: We we ask every guest on the show. Give us your top five. So this can, you can you can do this however you want. This can be your top five favorite records. You can give us five you're listening to right now. You can give us your five favorite hip hop albums of all time. You can give us your five favorite MCs. However you want to see that. We're just asking for your top five and what that five is is up to you.
1: You might not have this ready, but you could also do top five that didn't make the Rolling Stone 200 hip hop list. Ah, there you go.
2: <laughs> now I don't, I, I don't know if I have that one ready, but I will yeah. mention. Speaking of Outcasts, one of the I wanted to write about uh, AT Aliens, not my favorite. I would still say that Aquemini is probably better. But just get, get, giving you a quick example of some of the things that we were working on, you know, in the background that just couldn't make the cut. I wanted to, to write about AT Aliens, but uh, I would have to go with. Um, I'm going to keep it old school, you know, for top five albums. It Takes a Nation, The mm-hmm. Low End low Theory, mm-hmm. America's Most Wanted. I hate that most of these I've mentioned already, but it is it is what it is. Uh, right. so, so that was number three, America's Most Wanted, Illmatic, and five, The Great Adventures of Slickwood.
0: Wow. Great album. Great album. Great picks. Yeah. Those, Thank you. I, look, we, we, we'd stand next to you with all five of those picks. Those are all good ones. Thank you, sir.
2: I could, I could go more recent. I, I can't think of five offhand, but Kendrick, you mentioned way earlier on, and I happen to agree. Kendrick definitely deserves to be high on anybody's list. So mm-hmm. To a Butterfly is one of my favorite albums of all time. So mm-hmm. that
0: would be extremely high on any list that I would make. Before we let you go, for our listeners, let us know how we can keep up to date with you. Uh, can we follow you? Where can we follow you on social media? Or where can we read what you got coming out next?
2: Sure, no doubt. Uh, Will, it's Will R. Dukes uh, on Twitter, so at Will R. Dukes. Um, kind of on Instagram, but that's kind of like a um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but uh, W. R. Dukes on Instagram for anybody who would care to to, to do that. But uh, and for other than that, you know, I write for Rolling Stone regularly. You can just Google me, uh, Pitchfork, uh, Mike,
0: Stereo Gum. I'm out here. So, you know, just Google will do it'll come up. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being with us tonight. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and uh, it's, it's been great talking hip hop with you.
2: Likewise, guys. Take care.
1: Rob, my fear is that we are not any closer to deciding which of these two albums should be on our list because it seems like the consensus is that fear of a black planet is better mm-hmm. than it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. But it takes a nation just historically just has more importance than fear of a black planet. So th- You know, and I mean, because I mean, essentially when we asked, Will, you know, which one belongs on our list, we basically got the answer that both of them, you know, because, you know, he said on one hand, fear of a black planet is better and it's his favorite, but it's hard to kind of dethrone. It takes a nation and my, my kind of take is that it takes a nation is the first of its kind, but I think that fear of a black planet is the best of its kind fear of
0: a black planet goes to places that it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Does not go, but it would not go to those places without the foundation laid by it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Sure. And I don't think there is another album in hip hop up to that point that, that was, that laid a similar foundation. I don't think fear of a black planet It exists in a world without It Takes a Nation and Millions to hold us back and, I mean, and that that's, that's a ridiculous kind of conversation because obviously it's their second album
1: here's what I'll we've say done, we've done both with different albums you know yeah like we did Beatles Revolver which was like uh, Will made the analogy right It Takes a Nation's kind of the Revolver and mm-hmm. Fear the Black Planet's kind of the Sergeant Pepper It Takes a Nation might be more of like inner visions where fear of a favorite black planet might be more like songs in the key of life. Yeah. You know, just more expansive. You know what I mean? So like we we've gone different ways about this in the past with different artists. And this is a real challenge because I, I do think fear of a black planet just, just is a better album. Um, mm-hmm. You know um, with that one blemish. Yeah. You know, going against it. Um, but yeah. it's just It's, it, it just, has it's that,
0: hard It also you know it has that blemish going against it. it 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 also is a more aggressive album And It also has The best single Of Public Enemy's Career
1: Yeah I mean it has the song That pretty much Is defying their career you know That's yeah. you know when you think of Public Enemy You know fight the power is kind of the thing that you think of for uh, certainly a lot of people, you know, so. So
0: here's, here's what I'll say. If we have, it takes nation of millions holds back. I also think we are defaulting to every other list.
1: That's my concern as well, is that we're just recreating another one of the kind of standard lists. So, so here's what I think we
0: should do. I think we should be willing to say it takes a nation of millions to hold us back is the most important public enemy album. No doubt. But Fear of a Black Planet is their better album. Yeah. And we're gonna go for the sake of our list, Greatest Needs to Mean Best. Okay. And and Fear of a Black Planet is their best album, even if it is not as important as it takes a nation and millions to hold us back.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I I don't think, you know, I, I, it's maybe it'd be controversial. I don't know, but, you know, we, we had one guest before say fear of a black planet over it takes a nation. That's right. I know. And our most recent guest said that personally he likes fear of a black planet more also and i like fear of a black planet more and i heard um tom morello of rage against the machine on a podcast say he likes fear of a black planet more so all these people are saying they like fear of a black planet more but no one is putting it above it takes a nation on any of these lists so let's be the first people to get that conversation going
0: all right so so rolling stone we're we're sticking our flag in the ground here
1: Worst I mean not just Rolling Stone. I mean, everybody, every, everybody has every, an translation above.
0: Every, every canonical list we have ever read, we're putting our flag in the ground and saying, look, Fear of a Black Planet is a better album. It's a better album. And the better I'm album about. and the better album deserves to be higher on the list. And since our since the caveat of our list is that only one album goes on the list per artist. We're putting fear of a black planet by public enemy on our list.
1: I love it. Of course, it was my pick, but um, I like what we've done here.
0: Yeah. And in and, and in fairness, this wasn't one where you and I were far off from each other. I think I think from the yeah. beginning, I, I think this is something we we agreed to. And it was just the differing approach of do we go with the better album or do we go with the more important album? And And I like where we've ended up. So, listener, what about you? What do you think? Do you think we are insane for not having it takes a nation of millions to hold us back on our list? Do you think it should be Yo Bum Rush the show? What do you think? Let us know where you stand. Reach out to us on Twitter at You Forgot One Pod, on Instagram at You Forgot One. Of course, our website is YouForgotOne.com. And if you're listening on any of your preferred podcasting platform. Makai has got a message for you.
1: Yes. Go ahead and hit the follow button or the subscribe button or the like button or whichever it is on whatever you're listening to. And um, if you like what you heard, please leave a five-star review and you can write a review. um, And, you know, maybe we'll read it on the podcast. Who knows? Um, No one's done it yet. So we haven't had the opportunity to, to see what would happen. Uh, So you could be the very first, Uh, to write a review somewhere and and have it read on the podcast. Uh, And of course this is all because, you know, not just because Rob and I are egomaniacs, JK, of course, um, uh, but because uh, it helps other people find the show, you know, and, you know, and if you're enjoying this, then, you know, by golly, help other people find it as well.
0: Well, we've talked about this song a whole lot during this episode, and it is the closing track on Fear of a Black Planet. So we're going to leave you with the monster-defining hit by public enemy, Fight the Power.
3: 1989, the number, another summer. Sound of the funky drummer. Music hitting your heart, because I know you got soul. Listen if you're missing, y'all. Swinging while I'm singing. Giving what you're getting. Knowing what I know in. While I'm playing. What we need, hey. <laughs> our hey. freedom of speech hey. is freedom of... Th-